everyone. Grab some snacks, grab a drink, and please remember not to open your window no matter what you see or may hear outside of the vehicle. And with that, please buckle up and let's get a move on to exit 66. The Vacant Lot by Mary Eleanor Wilkins Franklin. When it became generally known in Townsend Center that the Townsends were going to move to the city, there was great excitement and dismay, for the Townsend to move was about equivalent to the towns moving. The Townsend ancestors had founded the village a hundred years ago. The first Townsend had kept a wayward holstery for man and beast, known as the Sign of the Leopard. The signboard on which so the leopard was painted was a bright blue, was still extant and prominently so, being nailed over the present Townsend's front door. This Townsend, by the name David, kept a village store. There had been no tavern since the railroad was built through Townsend Center in his father's day. Therefore, the family being outstead by the march of progress from their chosen employment, took it up with the general county store as being the nice thing to a county tavern, the principal differences consisting in the fact that all the guests were transients, never requiring bedchambers, securing their rest on the tops of sugar and flour barrels and cod boxes, and their refreshments from stray nibblings at the stock and trade, to the profitless and depletions of raisins and loaf sugar and crackers and cheese. The flitting of the Townsend home from their ancestors was due to a sudden excess of wealth from the death of a relative and the desire of Mrs. Townsend to secure better advantages for her son George, 16 years old, in the way of education and for her daughter Adriana, 10 years old, better maternal opportunities. However, this last inducement for leaving Townsend Center was not openly stated, only ingeniously summarized by the neighbors. Sarah Townsend, don't think there's anybody in town Townsend Center fit for her Adriana to marry, and so she's going to take her to Boston see if she can't pick up somebody there, they said. Then they wondered what Abel Lyons would do. He had been a humble suitor for Adriana for years, but her mother had not approved, and Adriana, who was dutiful, had repulsed him delicately and rather sadly. He was the only lover whom she had ever had, and she felt sorry and grateful. She was a plain, awkward girl and had a patient recognition of the fact. But her mother was ambitious more so than her father, who was rather pugnaciously satisfied with what he had and not easily disposed to change, however. He yielded to his wife and consented to sell the business and purchase a town in Boston and move there. David Townsend was curiously unlike the line of ancestors from whom he had come. He had either retrograded or advanced, as one might look at it. His moral character was certainly better, but he had not the fiery spirit and eager grasp at advantage which had distinguished them. Indeed, the old Townsends, though prominent and respected as men of property and influence, had reputations not above suspicions. There was more than one dark whisper regarding them handed down from the mother to son in the village, and especially was this true to the first Townsend. He who built the tavern, bearing the sign of the blue leopard, his portrait, a hideous effort of contemporary art, hung in the garret of David Townsend's home. There was many a tale of wild roistering, if no worse, in that old roadhouse and high stakes and quarreling in the cups and below 
His portrait, a hideous effort of contemporary art, hung in the garret of David Townsend's home. There was a many tale of wire and roistering, if no worse, in that old roadhouse, and high stakes and quarreling and cups and blows and money gotten in evil fashion. And the matter hushed up with a high hand for inquirers by the imperious Townsend, who terrorized everybody. David Townsend terrorized nobody. He had gotten his little competence from his store by honest methods, the exchange of sterling silver goods and true weights for county produce and county shillings. He was sober and reliable, with intense self-respect and a decided talent for the management of money. It was principally for this reason that he took great delight in his sudden wealth by legacy. He had thereby greater opportunities for the exercise of his native shrewdness in a bargain. This he evidenced in the purchase of a house in Boston. One day in spring, the old Townsend house was shut up. The blue leopard was taken carefully down from his lair over the front door. The family chattels were loaded on the train and the Townsend departed. It was a sad and eventful day for the Townsend Center. A man from Bear had rented the store David had decided at last not to sell and the old familiars congregated in melancholy fashion and talked over the situation. An enormous pride over their departed Townsend became evident. They paraded him, flaunting him like a banner in the eyes of the new men. David is awful smart, they said. There won't nobody get the better of him in that city if he has lived in Townsend Center his whole life. He's got his eyes open. Know what he paid for this house in Boston? Well, sir, that house cost $25,000, and David, he bought it for five. Yes, sir, he did. Must have been something about it, remarked the new man, scowling over his counter. He was beginning to feel his disregarding situation. Not an out. Sir David? He made sure on it. Catching getting bit, everything was in the apple pie order, hot and cold water, and all in one of the best locations of the city, real high up street. David, he said, the rent in the street was never under a thousand. Yes, sir. David, he got a bargain. Five thousand dollars for a twenty-five thousand dollar house. Something out about it, growled the new man over the counter. However, as his fellow townsmen and allies stated, there seemed to be no doubt about the desirableness of the city house which David Townsend had purchased, and the fact that he had secured it for an absurdly low price, the whole family were at first suspicious. It was ascertained that the house had cost around some only a few years ago. It was in perfect repair. Nothing whatever was amiss with plumbing, furnace, anything. There was not even a soap factory within smelling distance. As Mrs. Townsend had vaguely summarized, she was sure that she had heard of houses being undesirable for such reasons. But there was no soap factory. They all sniffed and peeked. When the first rainfall came, they looked at the ceilings, confidently expecting to see dark spots where the leaks had commenced, but there were none. They were forced to confess that their suspicions were allied, that the house was perfect, even overshadowed with the mystery of a lower price than it was worth. That, however, was an additional perfection in the opinion of the Townsends, who had their share of the New England thrift. They had lived just one month in their new house and were happy, although at the time somewhat lonely from Missingless Society of Townsend Center when the trouble began. The Townsends, although they lived in a fine house in a genteel, almost fashionable part
part of the city, were true to their ancestors and kept as they had been accustomed only one maid. She was the daughter of a farmer on the outskirts of their native village, was middle-aged, and had lived with them for the last ten years. One pleasant Monday morning, she rose early and did the family washing before breakfast, which she had prepared by Mrs. Townsend and Adriana, as was their habit on the washing days. The family was seated at the breakfast table in the basement dining room, and this maid, whose name was Cordelia, was hanging out of the clothes in the vacant lot. This vacant lot seemed a valuable one. Being on a corner, it was a rather singular that it had not been built upon. The Townsends had wondered at it and agreed that they would have preferred their own house to be there. They had, however, utilized it as far as possible with their most innocent rural disregard of property rights and unaccompanied land. We might as well just hang out our washing in that vacant lot, Mrs. Townsend had told Claudelia the first Monday of their stay in the house. Our little yard ain't half big enough for all of our clothes, and it is sunnier there too. So Claudelia had hung out the wash there for four Mondays, and this was the fifth. The breakfast was about half finished, and they had reached the buckwheat cakes. When this maid came rushing into the dining room and stood regarding them, speechless, with a countenance indecisive of almost utterance of horror, she was deadly pale, her hands sudden with soap spuds, twitching at her sides at the folds of her calico gown. Her very hair, which was light and sparse, seemed to bristle with fear. All the Townsends turned and looked at her. David and George rose with a half-defined idea of burglars. Cordelia battles. What is the matter? cried Mrs. Townsend. Adriana gasped for breath and turned as white as the maid. What is the matter? repeated Mrs. Townsend, but the maid was unable to speak. Mrs. Townsend sprang up and ran to the frightened woman and shook her violently. Cordelia battles. You speak, she said, and not stand there, staring that way as if you were struck dumb. What is the matter with you? Then Cordelia spoke in a fainting voice. There's somebody else hanging out clothes in that vacant lot. She gasped and clutched at that chair for support. Who? cried Mrs. Townsend, rousing to indignation, for already she had assumed prior part for already she had assumed proprietorship in the vacant lot. It is the folks in the next house. I'd like to know what right they have. We are next to that vacant lot. I don't know who it is, gasped Cordelia. Why, we've seen that girl next door go to mass every morning, said Mrs. Townsend. She's got a fiery red head. Seems as if you might know her by this time, Cordelia. It ain't that girl, gasped Cordelia. Then she added in a horror-stricken voice, I couldn't see who it was. They all stared. Why couldn't you see? demanded her mistress. Are you struck blind? No, ma'am. Then why couldn't you see? All I could see was Cordelia hesitated with an expression of utmost horror. Go on, said Mrs. Townsend impatiently. All I could see was the shadow of somebody very slim hanging out the clothes and what? I could see the shadow of the things flapping on their line. You couldn't see the clothes? Only the shadow on the ground. What kind of clothes were they? Queer, replied Cordelia with a shudder. 
If I didn't know you so well, I should think you had been drinking, said Mrs. Townsend. Now, Cordelia Battles, I'm going out in that vacant lot and see myself what you're talking about. I can't go, gasped the woman. With that, Mrs. Townsend and all the others, except Adriana, who remained to tremble with the maid, sailed forth into the vacant lot. They had to go out the area gate into the street to reach it. It was nothing unusual in the way of the vacant lots. One large poplar tree, the relic of the old forest which had once flourished there, twinkled in the corner for the rest. It was overgrown, with coarse weeds and a few dusty flowers. The Townsend stood just inside the rude, broad fence which divided the lot from the street and stared with wonder and horror, for Cordelia had told the truth. They all saw what she had described, the shadow of an exceedingly slim woman moving along the ground with upstretched arms, the shadows of strange, nondescript garments flapping from a shadowy line, but when they looked up for the substance of shadows, nothing was to be seen except the clear blue October air. My goodness, gasped Miss Townsend. Her face assumed a strange gathering of midst of wrath and terror. Suddenly she made a determined move forward. Although her husband strove to hold her back, you let me be, said she. She moved forward. Then she recoiled and gave a loud shriek. The wet sheet flapped in my face, she cried. Take me away, take me away. Then she fainted. Between them, they got her back to the house. It was awful, she moaned, when she came to herself with the family all around her where she lay on the dining room floor. Oh, David, what do you suppose it is? Nothing at all, replied David Townsend stoutly. He was remarkable for courage and staunch belief in acculiteries. He was now denying to himself that he had seen anything unusual. Oh, there was, moaned his wife. I saw something, said George in a solemn, boyish bass. The maid sobbed convulsively, and so did Adriana for sympathy. We won't talk any about it, said David. Here, Jane, you drink this hot tea. It will do you good. And Cordelia, you hang out the clothes in our own yard. George, you go and put up the line for it. The line is out there, said George with a jerk of his shoulder. Are you afraid? No, I ain't replied the boy resentfully, and went out with a pale face. After that, Cordelia hung the Townsend wash in the yard of their own house. Standing always with her back to the vacant lot, as for David Townsend, he spent a good deal of his time in the lot watching the shadows, but he came to no explanation, although he strove to satisfy himself with many. I guess the shadows come from the smoke from our chimneys, or else the poplar tree, he said. Why do the shadows come on Monday mornings and no other? demanded his wife. David was silent. Very soon, new mysteries arose. One day, Cordelia rang the dinner bell at their usual dinner hour. The same as in Townsend Center, high noon, and the family assembled. With amazement, Adriana looked at the dishes on the table. Why, that's queer. What's queer? asked her mother. Cordelia stopped short. She was about setting a tumbler of water besides a plate, and the water slopped over. Why? said Adriana, her face palling. I thought there was boiled dinner. I smelled cabbage cooking. I knew there would be something else come up, gasped Cordelia, leaning hard on the back of Adriana's chair. What do you mean? asked Mrs. Townsend sharply, but her own face began to assume the shock parlor 
which is so easy nowadays for all their faces to assume at the mere suggestion of anything out of common. I smell cabbage cooking all the morning up in my room, Adriana said faintly, and here's codfish and potatoes for dinner. The Townsends all looked at one another. David rose with an explanation and rushed out of the room. The others waited trembling. When he came back, his face was lowering. What did you, Mrs. Townsend asked hesitantly. There's some smell of cabbage out there, he admitted reluctantly. Then he looked at her with a challenge. It comes from the next house. He said, blows over our house. Our house is higher. I don't care. You can never account for such things. Cordelia, said Mrs. Townsend, you go over to the next house and you ask if they've got cabbage for dinner. Cordelia switched out of the room, her mouth set hard. She came back promptly. Says they never have cabbage, she announced with gloomy triumph and a conclusive glance at Mrs. Townsend. Their girl was real sassy. Oh, father, let's move away. Let's sell this house, cried Adriana in a panic-stricken tone. If you think I'm going to sell a house that I got as cheap as this one because we smell cabbage in a vacant lot, you're mistaken, replied David firmly. It isn't the cabbage alone, said Mrs. Townsend. And a few shadows, added David. I am tired of such nonsense. I thought you had more sense, Jane. One of the boys at school asked me if we lived in the house next to the vacant lot on Wells Street and whistled when I said yes, remarked George. Let them whistle, said Mr. Townsend. After a few hours, the family, stimulated by Mr. Townsend's calm common sense, agreed that it was exceedingly foolish to be disturbed by a mysterious odor of cabbage. They even laughed to themselves. I suppose we have got so nervous over those shadows hanging out clothes that we notice every little thing, conceded Miss Townsend. You will find out some day that this is no more to be regarded than the cabbage. You can't account for the wet sheets hitting my face, said Mrs. Townsend doubtfully. You imagined it. I felt it. That afternoon, things went on as usual in the household until nearly four o'clock. Adriana went downtown to do some shopping. Mrs. Townsend sat sewing beside some bay window in her room, which was a front one in the third story. George had not got home. Mr. Townsend was writing a letter in the library, and Cordelia was busy in the basement. The twilight, which was coming early and earlier every night, was beginning to gather, when suddenly there was a loud crash which shook the house from its foundations. Even the dishes on the sideboard rattled, and the glasses rang like bells. The pictures on the wall of Mrs. Townsend's room swung out from the walls, but that was not all. Every looking glass in the house cracked simultaneously, as nearly as they could judge from top to bottom, from top to bottom, then shivered into fragments over the floors. Mrs. Townsend was too frightened to scream. She sat huddled in her chair, gasping for breath, her eyes, rolling from side to side in incredulous terror, turned towards the street. She saw a great black group of people crossing it just in front of the vacant lot. There was something inexpressibly strange and gloomy about this moving. There was an effect of sweeping, wavings, and foldings of sable draperies and gleam of deadly white faces. Then they passed. She twisted her head to see, and they disappeared in the vacant lot. Mr. Townsend came hurrying into the room. He was pale and looked at once angry and alarmed.
did you fall? He asked inconsequently, as if his wife, who was small, could have produced such a manifestation by a fall. Oh, David, what is it? whispered Mrs. Townsend. Darned if I know, said David. Don't swear, it's too awful. Oh, see the looking glass, David. I see it. The one over the library mantel is broken too. Oh, it is a sign of death. Cordelia's feet were heard as she staggered on the stairs. She almost fell into the room. She reeled over to Mr. Townsend and clutched his arm. He cast a sideways glance, half furious, half consumerating at her. Well, what is it all about? he asked. I don't know. What is it? Oh, what is it? The looking glass in the kitchen is broken all over the floor. Oh, oh what is it? I don't know any more than you do. I didn't do it. Looking glass broken is a sign of death in the house, said Cordelia. If it's me, I hope I'm ready, but I'd rather die than be so scared as I've been lately. Mr. Townsman shook himself loose and eyed the two trembling women in gathering resolution. Now look here, both of you, he said. This nonsense, you'll die sure enough of fright if you keep on this way. I was a fool myself to be startled. Everything it is, is an earthquake. Oh, David, gasped his wife, not much reassured. It is nothing but an earthquake, persisted Mr. Townsman. It acted just like that. Things are always broken in the walls in the middle of the room isn't affected. It acted just like that. Things always are broken on the walls in the middle of the room isn't affected. I read about it. Suddenly, Mrs. Townsend gave a loud shriek and pointed. How do you account for that? She cried. If it's an earthquake, oh, oh no. She was on the verge of hysterics. Her husband held her firmly by the arm. As his eyes fell the direction of her rigid pointing finger, Cordelia looked also. Her eyes seemingly conveyed to a bright point of fear on the floor in front of the broken looking glass lay a mass of black stuff and a gruesome long ridge. It's something you dropped there, almost shouted Mr. Townsend. It ain't. Mr. Townsend dropped his wife's arm and took one stride toward the object. It was a very long crepe veil. He lifted it and it floated out from his arm as if imbued with electricity. It's yours, he said to his wife. Oh, David, I never had one. You know. Oh, you know, I shouldn't unless you died. How came it there? I'm darned if I know said David regarding it. He was deadly pale, but still resentful rather than afraid. Don't hold it, don't. I'd like to know what in all this thunder this means. I'd like to know what in thunder all this means, said David. He gave the thing an angry toss, and it fell on the floor in exactly the same long heap as before. Cordelia began to weep with racking sobs. Mrs. Townsend reached out and caught her husband's hand clutching it hard with ice-cold fingers. What's got into this house anyhow, he growled. You'll have to sell it. Oh, David, we can't live here. As for selling a house I paid only 5000 for, which worth twenty-five, for any such nonsense as this is, I won't. David gave one stride toward the black veil, but it rose from the floor and moved away before him. Across the room, at exactly the same height as if suspended from a woman's head, he pursued it, clutching vainly all around the room. Then he swung himself on his heel with an exhalation, and the thing fell to the floor again in the long heap. Then 
were hurrying feet on the stairs and Adriana burst into the room. She ran straight to her father and clutched his arm. She tried to speak, but she chattered unintelligibly. Her face was blue. Her father shook her violently. Adriana, do you have more sense? he cried. Oh, David, how can you talk so? sobbed the mother. I can't help it. I'm mad, said he with emphasis. What has got into this house and you all, anyhow? What is it, Adriana? Poor child, asked her mother. Only look what has happened here. It's an earthquake, said her father staunchly. Nothing to be afraid of. How do you count for that, said Mrs. Townsend in an awful voice, pointing to the veil. Adriana did not look. She was too engrossed with her own terrors. She began to speak in a breathless voice. I was coming by the vacant lot, she panted, and, and I, I, I had... I had my new hat and a paper bag and a parcel of blue ribbon, and I I saw a crowd, an awful, oh, a whole crowd of people with white faces, as if they were all dressed in black. Where are they now? I don't know. <laughs> Adriana sank, gasping feebly into a chair. Get her some water, David, sobbed her mother. David rushed, <clears throat> David rushed with an impatient exclamation out of the room and returned with a glass of water, which he held to his daughter's lips. Here, drink this, he said roughly. Oh, David, how can you speak so? Sobbed his wife. I can't help it. I'm mad clean through, said David. Then there was a hard bound upstairs, and George entered. He was very white, but he grinned at them with an appearance of unconcern. Hello, he said in a shaking voice, which he tried to control. What on earth to pay in that vacant lot now? Well, what is it? demanded his father. Oh, nothing, only, well, there are lights over, exactly as if there was a house there. Just about where the windows would be, it looked as if you could walk right in. But when you look close, there are those old dried up weeds waddling away, and the ground the same as ever. I looked at it, I couldn't believe my eyes. A woman saw it too. She came along just as I did. She gave one look, and then screeched and ran. I waited for someone else, but no one came. Mr. Townsend rushed out of the room. I dare say it'll be gone when he gets there, began George. Then he stared around the room. What's to pay here, he cried. Oh, George, the whole house shook all at once, and all the looking glasses broke. Wailed his mother and Adriana and Cordelia joined. George whistled with pale lips when Mr. Townsend entered. Well, asked George, see anything? I don't want to talk, said his father. I've stood just about enough. We've got to sell out and go back to Townsend Center, cried his wife in a wild voice. Oh, David, say you'll go back. I won't go back for any such nonsense as this. And sell a $25,000 house for 5000 said he firmly. But that night, his resolution was shaken. The whole family watched together in the dining room. They were all afraid to go to bed. That is, all except possibly Mr. Townsend. Mrs. Townsend declared firmly that she, for one, would leave that awful house and go back to Townsend Center, whether he came or not, unless they all stayed together and watched, and Mr. Townsend yielded. They chose the dining room for the reason that it was near the street, should they wish to make their egress hurriedly, and they took up their station around the dining table on which Claudia had placed a luncheon. It looks exactly like as if we were watching with a corpse, she said in a horror-stricken whisper. Hold your tongue if you can't talk sense, said Mr. Townsend. The dining room was very large, finished in oak, a 
with a pale, with a dark blue paper above the wings cotton. The old sign of the tavern, the blue leopard, hung over the mantel shelf. Mr. Townsend had insisted on hanging it there. He had a curious pride in it. The family sat together until after midnight, nothing unusual happened. Mrs. Townsend began to nod, and Mr. Townsend read the paper, Osostensis, and Mr. Townsend read the paper. Adrian and Cordelia stared with roving eyes about the room, then at each other as if comparing notes in terror. George had a book which he studied feveritively. All at once, Adriana gave a startled exclamation, and Cordelia echoed her. George whispered faintly. Mrs. Townsend awoke, and with a start, and Mr. Townsend's paper rattled on the floor. Look, gasped Adriana. The sign of the blue leopard over the shelf glowed, as if a lantern hung over it. The radiance was thrown from above. It grew brighter and brighter as they watched. The blue leopard seemed to crouch and spring with life. Then the door into the front hall opened, the outer door, which had been carefully locked. It squeaked, and they all recognized it. They sat staring. Mr. Townsend was as transfixed as the rest. They heard the outer door shut, then the door into the room swung open, and slowly that awful black group of people which they had seen in the afternoon entered. The Townsend, with one accord, rose and huddled together in a far corner. They all held to each other and stared. The people, their faces gleaming with the whiteness of death, their black robes, waving and folding, crossed the room. They were a trifle above mortal height, or seemed so to the terrified eyes which saw them. They reached the mantel shelf, where the signboard hung, then a black draped long arm was seen to rise and make a motion as if plying a knocker. Then the whole company passed out of sight as if through the wall and the room was as before. Mrs. Townsend was shaking in a nervous chill. Adriana was almost shaking, and Cordelia was in hysterics. David Townsend stood glaring in a curious way at the sign of the blue leopard. George stared at him with a look of horror. There was something in his father's face which made him forget everything else. At least he touched his arm timidly. Father, he whispered. David turned and regarded him with a look of rage and fury. Then his face cleared. He passed his hand over his forehead. Good Lord, what did come to me, he muttered. You look like that awful picture of old Tom Townsend in the garret in Townsend Center, Father, whimpered the boy, shuddering. Should think I might look like most any old cuss after such darned work as this, growled David, but his face was white. Go and pour out some hot tea for your mother, he ordered the boy sharply. He himself shook Cordelia violently. Stop such actions, he shouted in her ears, and shook her again. Ain't you a church member? he demanded. What be you afraid of? You ain't done nothing wrong, have ye? Then Cordelia quoted scripture in a burst of sobs and laughter. Behold, I was shaped in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me, she cried out. If I ain't done wrong, them that's come before me did, and when the evil one and the powers of darkness is abroad, I am liable, I am liable. Then she laughed loud and long and shrill. If you don't hush up, said David, but still, with that white terror and horror on his face, I'll bundle you out in that vacant lot whether or not I mean it. Then Cordelia was quiet. After one wild roll of her eyes at him, the color was returning to Adriana's cheeks. Her mother was drinking hot tea in spasmodic gulps. It's after midnight, she gasped. I don't believe they'll come again tonight, do you, David? 
No, I don't, said David conclusively. Oh, David, we mustn't stay another night in this awful house. We won't. Tomorrow we'll pack off the bag and baggage to Townsend Center. If it takes all the fire department to move us, said David. Adriana smiled in the midst of her terror. She thought of Abel Lyons. The next day, Mrs. Townsend went to the real estate agent who sold him the house. It's no use. I can't stand it. Sell the house for what you can get. I'll give it away rather than keep it. Then he added a few strong words as his opinion of parties who sold him such an establishment. But the agent pleaded innocent for the most part. I'll own I suspected something wrong when the owner, who pledged me to secrecy as to his name, told me to sell that place for what I could get, and did not limit me. I had never heard anything, but I began to suspect something was wrong. Then I made a few inquiries and found out that there was a rumor in the neighborhood that there was something out of the usual about that vacant lot. I had wondered myself why it wasn't built upon. There was a story about it. It's being undertaken once, and the contract made, and the contractor died, and another man took it, and one of the worksmen was killed on his way to the dead cellar, and the other struck. I didn't pay much attention to it. I never believed much in that sort of anything anyhow, and then, too, I couldn't find out that there had been anything wrong about the house itself, except as the people who had lived there were said to have seen and heard queer things in the vacant lot, so I thought you might able to be so I thought you might be able to get along, especially as you didn't look like a man who was timid and the house was such a bargain as I never handled before. But this, you tell me, is beyond belief. Do you know the names of the people who formerly owned the vacant lot? asked Mr. Townsend. I don't know for certain, replied the agent, for the original owners flourished long before you or my day, but I do know that the lot goes by the name of Old Gaston Lot. What's the matter? Are you ill? No, it's nothing, replied Mr. Townsend. Get what you can for the house. Perhaps another family might not be as troubled as we have been. I hope you have not... I hope you are not going to leave the city, said the agent urbanly. I am going back to Townsend Center as fast as steam can carry me after we get packed up and out of the cursed house, replied Mr. David Townsend. He did not tell the agent nor any of his family what had caused him to start. When told the name of the former owners of the lot, he remembered all of the once of the ghastly murder which had taken place in Blue Leopard. The victim's name was Gaston, and the murderer had never been discovered. And that was The Vacant Lot by Mary Eleanor Wilkins Freeman. Alright everyone, we're finally at our exit 666. Grab your things, unbuckle that seatbelt, and remember, try to be nice to the locals. I really wouldn't want to be reading about you next. Have a good night.